when our Savior lived here upon the earth for three and a half years, one of the things that he commented on more than just about any other subject was the matter of faith. When the disciples woke him up one night when they were on a ship with him on the Sea of Galilee and said, Master, carest thou not that we perished? The Savior calmed the seas and uh, quieted the storm. And then he looked at them and said, how is it that ye have no faith? Um, the Bible says that uh, in, in his hometown of, of Nazareth, he marveled because of their unbelief. It was, it was their lack of faith that was almost a jaw-dropping moment. The Bible says he did not many miracles there because of the, their lack of faith in him. And yet at the same time, there was a, a Roman centurion, not even a Jewish man, um, who, who had a sick servant, and uh, he, he told Jesus, said, you don't need to come to my house. I'm not worthy of that. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And, be healed. and once again, Jesus marveled and said, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. In Luke chapter 18, the Savior was speaking. In verse number 8, he asked this question. He said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth? Regardless of what's going on in our world today, we are the closest generation to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ of any in the last 2,000 years. Even Paul wrote in the book of Romans, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. And here we are uh, over 1900 years later. And so we are closer than any generation has ever been. So the question before us, when he comes back, shall the son of man find faith on the earth? In our text that we read with Brother Carson tonight, we, as, as he mentioned, this is called the Faith Hall of Fame or the Faith Chapter in the Bible. Romans chapter 8 is the chapter about hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the chapter about love. And, and Hebrews 11 is the chapter about faith. We find out in verse number 6 that without faith, it is impossible to please him. That means to please God without this thing called faith. The Bible says, for he that cometh to God must, must do two things. Number one, he must believe that he is, believe that he is God, that he is true, um, that he is everything that he said uh, about himself, must believe that he is. And number two, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have some examples laid out before us of men and women found in the Old Testament whose lives are an example of faith. They are held up to us. We are to learn from them and we are to glean from them. And after this, this statement in verse 6, the one that the Lord speaks of first here is Noah in verse 7. He's already talked about Abel and Enoch. Now he comes to Noah. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Jesus taught as it was in the days of Noah. 
They were marrying and giving in marriage. He said, that's what it's going to be like when his return comes. So it's fitting for us, uh, if we believe that we are living in the last days, that the Savior's return is imminent, that we look at the life of Noah and glean some lessons from his life about what faith is all about. The first thing I'd like you to notice in verse 7 is the foundation of Noah's faith the foundation of his faith. Do you know that everybody in the world has faith? Everybody has faith. The atheist has faith. Obviously, their faith is not placed in the God of the Bible or in the Bible in any, in any way, but the atheist has a belief system. They believe that there is no God and they have faith in that belief. And that belief governs what they do, what they say, and everything about their lives. If there's no God, there's no one to answer to but themselves. Uh, if there's no God, there's no worry about a, a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. So eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die and it's all over. So you might as well grab all the gusto you can. And an atheist has a belief system. Hindus have a belief system. Uh, very complex. They have, um, I believe, a, a million or two million different gods and goddesses that they happen to worship. They believe in something also that is called reincarnation. Um, Brother Matt, you can correct me on this. My understanding is in the nation of India, uh, there's not a lot of uh, social programs to help the underprivileged and the poor. Am I correct on that? It's because they believe that wherever you are in life right now um, has something to do with what you did in a previous life. So if you see a person and he is a beggar, maybe he's afflicted with some type of a disease, that is because in a previous life, he did not live well and he has been reincarnated into that form. And if you come along and ease his suffering, you have negated the whole point in him coming back as a beggar and he has to relive that type of a life all over again. Um, and it's a very convoluted way to live, but they govern how they treat other people by their faith system. Um, as Bible-believing Bible Christians, our faith has its foundation not in what we think, not in what we feel. Our feelings are very transient. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I may feel very strongly about something, but that doesn't make it right, nor does it make it wrong. Our foundation is the word of God. Look at verse 7 again. By faith, Noah being warned of God. God spoke to him and God let him know that man's days were numbered. God instructed him about building an ark out of gopher wood. It had to have three stories. Um, it, it had to have rooms within it. He had to put all types of food in there and then the animals were going to come and, and he received very specific instructions from God and, and Noah's response was based on what God told him. The Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? By the word of God. 
What we believe in the matters of faith is it's not left up to a vote of the majority. It's not left up, well, I see it this way or I see it that way. It is what does the Bible have to say? The foundation of our faith is the word of God. Circumstances change. Politics change. Weather changes. Feelings change. But the Bible is unchanging. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And we've got to understand that having the correct foundation is necessary if we're going to please the Lord at his coming. And there's that question. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Is he going to find biblical faith? Or is he going to find a bunch of people where every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes? In our Sunday school lessons, we are coming towards the end of the book of Judges. And we're finding out that that was the whole problem of, of the nation of Israel during the rule of the Judges. It didn't say every man did that which was wrong in his own eyes. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We've studied chapters 17 and 18, uh, where a man named Micah uh, has a house of gods, and he gets a Levite to come and serve as his, as his priest, and, and he uses the word for God, which is the word Jehovah. Now Jehovah will bless me, seeing as I have a Levite as my priest, but he has a house full of idols and graven images and teraphim. Every man's doing that which was right in his own eyes, and it leads to chaos and confusion. From the life of Noah, we find out the foundation of our faith has got to be the word of God. Keeping your place here, can we turn back to Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 7. The longest sermon in the Bible is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus comes to the conclusion of that sermon, and by the way, it is a sermon to believers. It is to you and I. It is not an evangelistic sermon. It is not a message to the unsaved. But notice what he says in verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, that's the word of God, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And that rock, in this case, is the word of God, the sayings of Christ. Please understand this. Building a life of faith, building your life upon the teachings of the word of God does not make you exempt from the storms. The storms are still going to blow against your life. You're going to have battles. You're going to have problems. You're going to have issues in life. The difference, though, is when your life's built upon the foundation of the word of God, thus it is a life of faith, your house will stand fast in spite of the storm. Verse 26, the Savior went on, everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. I know the Bible says, but... I know the Bible says, I just don't see it that way. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. No stable foundation. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. 
Please understand the foundation of Noah's faith back again in Hebrews chapter 11. It was the word of God. And if you and I are to follow in the example God set forth in Hebrews 11, our foundation must be this Bible as well, which means we have to know it. We have to know what the Bible says. We don't go out and make our decision and do our thing and then look it up and see if if that was okay with the Bible. You check the Bible first and let the Bible decide if you're going to do this or you're going to do that. Noah had a foundation for his faith being warned of God. The second thing I want you to notice about Noah and his faith was the focus of his faith. Look again at verse 7 in Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet. Of things not seen as yet. Now, to understand that, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. In verse number 4, Noah was warned by the word of God of things not seen as yet. In verse 4, the Bible says, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So when God created the heavens and the earth, there was no such thing as rain. Biblical creationists refer to this as a greenhouse effect. There was just a mist that watered the whole face of the earth and so forth. Turn to Genesis 6, where we come into Noah's um, story being told for us. And notice, please, uh, verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Remember the Savior's statement, as it was in the days of Noah? Does that verse not describe our world today? Filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. He goes on to give him the the directions and so forth there. Verse 17, behold, I, even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything uh, that is in the earth shall die. So all of a sudden he, he, he finds out, Noah finds out God's going to destroy the earth. The windows of heaven are going to be opened. The fountains of the great deep are going to be opened up and God's going to destroy the earth with a flood. Things that have never happened in 1600 years of human history. But God says, Noah, build this ark because I'm going to destroy everything that has has breath on this planet except for you and your family and whatever you bring into the ark with you. He's going to send rain. How do you describe rain to someone who's never seen it before, never heard about it? 
Um, I have three grandsons that live in North Carolina. All they need is a few flakes of snow and they think that they are in a blizzard. It is the most amazing thing in their little world because they've always grown up in the South. Now up here, uh, you know, we're not amazed by snow. Maybe some of you are. Most of us are dismayed by snow. But for someone that's never been around it, it's, it's a big thing such as it was for Noah. Again, back in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Noah being warned of God, there's his foundation, the word of God of things not seen as yet. Paul wrote to us in 1 Corinthians, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is always future oriented. Faith doesn't look at what we see with our eyes. We look at what God has said in his word and that becomes our focus. Uh, several examples in the Bible. Can I get you to turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 17? Luke chapter 17 and verse 11. The Bible says, and it came to pass as he, that is Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They have that horrible disease of leprosy by Mosaic law. They weren't allowed to come near people, so they stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. Did he heal them at that moment? No, all he, all he told them, they're saying, have mercy on us. He said, go show yourselves unto the priest. That was Mosaic law for one who had leprosy. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. Do you understand that they were in obedience to what he told them to do? He just said, go show yourself to the priest. That means they had to turn around and they had to start moving towards Jerusalem to the temple where, where the high priest was who could only declare them to be clean. And as they went, faith has a focus. It's, on, it's based on the word of God, but it's based, if you will, on the promises God has made about the future. We are saved through faith, are we not? We, we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was buried and raised again as the full payment, the only payment God will accept for our sins, correct? We believe that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, correct? We believe that everybody that is saved is gonna spend eternity in heaven. Uh, Jesus said, for where I am, there ye shall be also, correct? Are we in heaven yet? Well, I hope not. If this is heaven... This is disappointing. No, it's all future. Uh, the streets of gold, the gates of pearl, the angels, the throne of God, the son of God himself, that's all future tense. We believe it by faith, grounded upon what the Bible says, but our focus is out there in the future, such as it was with those 10 lepers. Look, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter five. The Bible is just filled with many, many illustrations that help us to understand that faith does not look at what we see with our eyes. It looks at what did God say? And it has a focus in that direction. Second Kings chapter five, uh, Mrs. Simmons and Natalie Ron sang a beautiful song last Sunday about the healing of Naaman, a Syrian captain. Uh, by the way, for those that didn't know that, uh, Kara wrote that song. 
which did not surprise me at all. I, I forgot to give you credit last week, but I wanted to make sure you got that tonight. It's an incredible story. He's a Syrian man. He had that little maid um, who uh, uh, said uh, in verse number three, would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria for he would recover him of his leprosy. One went in and told his Lord saying thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go to go. And I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed, took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and 10 changes of raiment. Of course, the king thought it was a setup because the king of Israel had no way to heal anybody um, and uh, so forth. And the prophet Elisha sent a message to him and uh, said, I'll, I'll take care of it. Send him to me. Verse number nine. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. This, by the way, was the word of the Lord. The prophet spoke as the spokesman of God. Hebrews said, God, who at divers times and in sundry manners have spoken unto the fathers by the prophets, hath spoken unto us in these last days by his son. So when Elijah spoke and told Naaman, Go dip yourself in the Jordan River, wash yourself seven times. That was the word of the Lord. That was the foundation. Verse 11, but Naaman was what? Wroth. That means beside himself in anger. We're talking so mad he was probably shaking. He was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the, river, the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be cleaned? So he turned and went away in a rage. So the word of God wasn't what he thought he would hear. Um, it's not about, is that what we want to hear? It's, is that what we need to hear? Is that what God said? Do you understand that Naaman had, he had the cure. Go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be clean. He had the word of the Lord, but Naaman wasn't looking there. Naaman was looking back home. We've got some rivers there that are beautiful rivers, not like this little stream called the Jordan River. And, and why can't I go there? And, and why didn't he come out himself and strike uh, over the place with the leprosy and say some words and, and call on his God and so forth? And he's, uh, he's uh, walking away in a rage. Is he healed? Not at all, because he's not willing to place himself on the foundation of God's word. Not only that, his focus is on what he can see, what he conceives in his own mind, rather than what God has promised to him. Verse 13, his servants came near and spake unto him and said, my father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. And they, they reasoned with him. They were very polite to him. Apparently, they cared as much about him as the little maid did. Said, really, if, if he'd asked you for some big sum of money for you to be clean, wouldn't have you have paid it anything to be rid of leprosy? If he had given you some big deed to carry out, wouldn't you have done it? All he's asking you to do is go wash in the, the Jordan River seven times. Is that asking too much? And Naaman calmed down. 
Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He had to accept the foundation that God had given him in the words of the prophet. Then he had to, he had to take his eyes off of what he thought how he thought things should be and work out. And he had to focus on the promise of God, wash seven times, you'll be clean. He didn't wash three times and get clean or five times. He washed seven times. And when, it, when he was done, his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. That's how faith works. That's how faith works. Sometimes I'm not sure about you. I would like to have all the answers up front. I, I would like to know how this works. Some months ago, I was in the market for a, a, a new car and I wanted to get a hybrid, uh, get some better gas mileage. And so I did, did my homework and some research uh, and so forth. And uh, I went into a dealership and uh, wanted to talk to them about a car. And, and I told them exactly what I wanted. I told them what color I wanted, I, what make, what model. And I wanted a hybrid. They had one on the lot. Uh, that was even close to that. And it was this, the exact color, make, model, everything that I wanted. And, uh, you know, before I bought it, though, I needed to know what, what kind of warranties this thing got. Um, it's, it's got a hundred, I'm sorry, it's got a 10-year warranty on the battery. The battery alone in that thing is $20,000 if it goes bad. It's got a 10-year warranty on it. It's got a 100,000-mile warranty on everything else. I get free oil changes for the next three years. Um, and, and they had this whole list of things. And before I was signing on the dotted line uh, about buying that car, they were going to have to tell me everything up front. And I needed to see it in writing. I didn't need to have some salesman telling me that. And then somebody else coming along saying, oh, I don't know why he told you that. That's not how we do it. We only cover the battery for like two days, you know, something like that. I got everything in writing. Saying, that's the way, that's the way kind of we operate in this world. But when it comes to faith, following the leadership of God in our lives, God doesn't always give us much more than the very next step. And he said, I, I've given you my word. I've shown you what you need to do. You take that step and then I'll show you what comes after that. So faith has a foundation in the word of God and faith has a focus on that promise of God. Uh, go back to he uh, Hebrews 11 one more time. By faith, Noah being warned of God, that's, the foundation, the word of God, of things not seen as yet, that's his focus. He may not understand it. He doesn't know how rain works, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like, but God said that would be, now we see faith's force. The Bible says, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Question, suppose Noah believed this thing called rain. Suppose he, real, he believed that God was mad at the wickedness of all of mankind and that God really was gonna destroy the earth, but he didn't build the ark. Would that have been any benefit to anyone, including himself? No, uh, faith without works is dead. Turn with me to James, just a couple pages over, James chapter two. James is a very practical book of the Bible. He's not talking about our eternal salvation now. He's talking about salvation in the sense of, 
of uh, doing the right thing, doing that which pleases and honors God, uh, that which will gain eternal reward. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked, destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? What's the answer to that question, class? Does it profit anything? Not at all. We're getting used to seeing people standing at various intersections with a cardboard sign, you know, I'm, I'm homeless, I'm cold, and so on and so forth. Um, and we see them out there. I, the place that I drive by almost every morning, I get off Route 15 onto Broad Street uh, in, in Wallingford near the, the IHOP uh, restaurant there. And almost every morning uh, at 7.15 or so, there's a lady standing there and she's got the cardboard sign and she's got the gloves on. And a couple days this week, it was pretty cold when I, when I went by there. And you know what? I can feel bad for her. I, I can wish that she had a better way to live her life uh, and all of that. But if I don't roll down my window and hand her a few dollars, have I helped her? I've not done anything at all by the way I do. I told you I keep some bills in, in my car and I always have some gospel tracks and I've talked to her. I've gotten to know her name and uh, she's, she's got a story. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't think she's just a freeloader. She's someone that's gone through some trials that I don't think we even comprehend. Um, I can't fix everything in her life, but I can help a little bit, right? That's the illustration James is giving about, about, about faith. It's, it's got to have a force behind it. Even so faith, in verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is what? It is dead. There's no life to it. There's no value to it. It is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. Our faith is what, what, what proves, I'm, I'm sorry, what we do is what proves what we really and truly believe. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? He uses two terms to describe a faith that produces nothing. One is the word dead. Faith without works is dead. The other is the word devilish. In verse 19, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. That's Bible. That's Bible. The devils also believe and tremble. You're on the same ground as Satan. He believes there's one God. In fact, he's been in his throne room. He's seen him face to face, and we have yet to see that. The devils believe also. Here's the, the thing that came to me as I read through this passage and, and thought about this particular, uh, this particular point. There's no difference between dead faith and devilish faith. Not a single difference whatsoever. Neither one of them produce anything good. Neither one of them see anybody get saved. Neither one of them benefits anybody's life. Neither one of them honor God. Neither one of them show trust in, in the things of God. So dead faith, if I have a faith that, that is not backed up by a life, by works that are in accordance, 
Uh, I'd be as foolish as Noah to say, yeah, I believe it's going to rain and I believe God's going to destroy the world in this terrible flood, but I'm too busy to build an ark or I just don't see the point in an ark. I think I'll, I'll uh, you know, I'll, I'll just grab a hold of an inner tube or something like that and I'll probably be all right. That's dead faith and I would drown. Noah would have drowned. So we have to ask ourselves when, when the Savior says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? What is, what's he going to find in us? Is he going to find dead faith? Well, we got all the answers and we can show all the verses, but we do nothing about it. That's devilish faith. Or is he going to find a dynamic faith that's like that of, of Noah, of Enoch, of Abel, of Abraham, of Sarah, and all the many other people that are named in Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you believe that Jesus is coming soon? I made that, a statement about that in Sunday school, about the, the events going on in the world today, and I said, I believe Jesus is coming soon. Boy, we had a chorus of amens from all over the room. We believe that. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We believe it. Let's see if it's Bible faith. Let's see if it's dynamic faith or is it dead faith. Verse one, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. I'm in 1 John 3, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Don't be surprised if the world doesn't get us. They don't understand why you go to church and why you live a certain way and why you don't do certain things. They didn't understand Jesus either. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. At the trumpet, we're all going to be changed in a moment. First Thessalonians chapter 4, one of the greatest scripture songs that I ever learned uh, was in a cantata by John W. Peterson called The Blessed Hope, and it's 1 John 4 verses 13 through 18. Um, uh, about the Savior coming and, and all of that. Isn't that going to be amazing? In a moment, I mean, we're out of here just like that. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord uh, shall, shall meet him in the air. It's going to be an amazing moment. We, we, we believe that. Amen? Okay, let's see if we really believe it. Verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself even is he is pure. Are you living a pure life? Do you talk pure words? Do you have a pure mind? Do you have a pure heart? We say that we believe the Lord's return is imminent. We say that we believe he's coming in, in a moment in a twinkling of an eye and we're going to all be changed. The Bible says those that believe that purify themselves. So the question is, are we, or do we just have dead faith that isn't changing anything about the way we live and talk and treat one, treat one another and so forth? Um, turn, if you would, to Second Peter. Second Peter, and I'm almost finished here. Second Peter. The Bible says, verse three, knowing this first that I'm in chapter 3, verse 3, 2 Peter, chapter 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. 
boy, don't you hear people laughing all the time at those of us who believe the Lord's coming back again? Uh, Peter knew what he was saying. That's the word of the Lord. For this they, are, they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, since the time of Noah, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Um, by the way, I do believe in global warming because the whole world's going to end in fire. It's going to get real hot before this thing's all done. But look at verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we believe he's coming again. We believe that the end of the world is nigh. What did we do this week to warn someone, tell them how to be saved, so that when the Savior comes, they go? Did we do anything? Did we hand out any tracts? Did we invite somebody to come to church? Or do we just get excited? Jesus is coming soon and man, the rapture is going to come. The Bible says if you believe that every man that hath that hope in himself purifies himself, does your life show that you believe he's coming soon? Does your witness show that you believe he's coming soon? Look at verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, and this is finishing the discussion about the end of, of, of everything. Um, actually, I'm going to look at verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in whole, all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, that's the focus of faith, based on the foundation of faith, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. He's not come back yet because he's, he's still waiting for some more people to get saved. That's why he's left us here. That's why he's left us here. So we say we believe we have faith. So the question tonight is, is it dead, devilish faith, or is it dynamic faith? Is our faith just in this one particular doctrine, the return of Christ, is, it, do we have such a faith in that, that that is touching every aspect of how we're living our lives? So when the Son of Man comes, if he were to come right this moment as I close this sermon, would he find faith? I mean dynamic Noah kind of faith in this room? Or would he just find words and the dead faith that is no more spiritual than the kind that the devil has. Time is short. We have an opportunity to serve the Lord. It is time that we really let ourselves be challenged in our faith. Is, is he gonna find faith here in this guy?
I, I don't have any answer for what you choose. So when the Lord comes and, and he sees me, is he going to find faith here? I mean, the dynamic stuff? Or is he just going to find a dead, empty bunch of words? Food for thought. Let's pray together. Father, thank